Contact Center KPI podcast. Uh, we have Aaron Slabin with us today. He has 10 years um, running compliance in call centers. And um, we're going to be talking about some, some different types of stuff today. Um, and so I just want to let everybody know, you know, the purposes of this podcast are purely informational. The topics we're going to be discussing today are not to be considered as legal advice. Um, definitely, you know, if this is interesting to you and these are topics that you struggle with, I would definitely encourage you to talk with your general counsel about this and seek professional legal advice. Um, Aaron and I are not attorneys, um, so we're going to keep things very high level, kind of talk about ideas, topics, strategies, things like that. Um, but Aaron, please take a moment to introduce yourself. Hey, Greg, thank you for having me. This is fun. Um, my name's Aaron Slavin. I most recently worked for Protect My Car in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, as you said, Greg, I ran their internal department of compliance for about nine and a half years. And uh, prior to that, um, I did practice criminal law for uh, about 10 years as well. I was on both sides of the aisle there. I did uh, about six years uh, with the state prosecutor in Florida, did some cool uh, gang-related cases, and uh, went to the defense side, did about four years of defense work before switching to in-house compliance. So what we're going to talk about today um, is balancing agent employee safety against kind of business operation and profitability. And um, so we're going to kind of venture outside of our typical KPIs kind of focusing on and um, a couple months ago, I had an interesting conversation with Aaron and some of the struggles and some of the things that he was being faced with on a daily basis really kind of like caught my attention as like, oh, these are real world challenges that I don't think often get discussed. Um, it's kind of like the, the not fun thing to talk about when you start talking about call centers. And so after our conversation, Aaron, I realized like it's actually a bigger problem. And then I even realized um, I was on with a customer today and they were talking about people threatening to kill themselves to agents. It was a debt collection company. And I was like, this is crazy. So, Aaron, kind of let's back up a little bit. Right. Let's give our listeners some context because we're talking about people killing themselves to agents. Like, what are some of the things that you struggled with? Let's start with some context. Um, and kind of focused on trying to, to help to help in, in you know in a previous life help with yeah. a previous life. No, I appreciate the question, and you know what we had discussed in in November was you know as part of running a call center, especially you know in my particular industry was vehicle service contracts or extended warranty, but I would think this applies to the greater insurance world as well. Um, you're dealing with thousands of customers, you're dealing with heated issues, uh, you're dealing with claims that could be worth a lot of money and, you know, you're going to get disgruntled customers, angry customers, and that's putting aside one of the segments of our business was also a rather large call center. So, you know, we have agents making outbound calls talking to prospects, trying to sell a product, um, and a lot of people that you get them on a bad day, um, they don't want to be called. And uh, so what we experienced was, you know, a number of situations where either our individual agents were threatened, um, 
We've had to investigate death threats to in individual agents. We've had uh, bomb threats in our building where customers have provided our exact address um, and mentioned that there was a bomb in the building and other sort of, you know, risky or dangerous employee related issues. So what I was asked to do in our compliance department by our management team was create kind of a, you know, a threat matrix internally, you know, we called it a threat team and we needed to have a plan in place, you know, and how to, in terms of how do we review these incidents, um, you know, to find out whether they're credible or not, when do we contact law enforcement and how do we balance the safety of our employees and our staff with the, you know, real world practicality of trying to run a business. Yeah. Was, um, was there a moment when that, that kind of realization happened that, hey, we need to have this, this threat team? Uh, or was it kind of a slow buildup? Like, what was that turning point where, as a business, you decide it's time to invest in this? Um, you know, I think as things started to escalate and as we would start to review some of these calls, you know, reports had to be made and things had to be documented. And, um, you know, that was, was something that I didn't want crossing my desk, you know, in terms of reviewing these types of calls and being solely responsible for making an individual judgment as to the risk involved. Obviously, none of us have that crystal ball and we can't predict the future. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I grew up in the post Columbine world and you watch, you know, the news today and it seems like there's a, a school shooting, a workplace shooting on a, on a daily or, or weekly basis. So when our employees started getting, you know, these types of threats, we knew that we had to have some SOPs in place to, to handle the situation. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. It's just not something you think about. Um, so, yeah, um, without kind of divulging all the, the stuff that went into the threat matrix, what are some of the, the maybe the high level topics or ideas that you guys talked about when kind of building out this this kind of like SOP for what 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 score does things need to get to before we realize like nine one one is the number that we need to call? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, the the most important thing and the one that we, you know, struggled with, and, and this goes back to our discussion in November about, you know, real-time data or real-time um, solutions was, you know, how do we, as a, as a management team, how do we review this stuff quickly? You know, this can't be something where our managers you know, are notified, it goes to an email box and it sits there for a couple days until, you know, an executive or a management level person has the time, you know, to review a phone call. These are um, situations that really need to be evaluated in real time. So what we did was we set up a, uh, a team and it um, over the years typically had four to five different management team members. And we created a process where if an individual agent had one of these experiences, um, they were required to immediately tell their manager, 
the manager was required to pull the phone call, review it, and immediately send it to those on this team. And then those that were on the team were required to essentially stop what they were doing. Um, you know, if you're in the middle of a project, if you were in the middle of a meeting, kind of excuse yourself, review the call. Um, and we had a shared document where we would put certain data points in, um, such as the location of the customer, the nature of the threat, um, you know, whether it was a, a customer or a prospect or a lead, there are a bunch of variables, um, you know, that went into kind of the calculus as to what we needed to do next. And I can tell you that, you know, the first time that we decided that we needed to contact local law enforcement, um, it kind of changed the analysis um, because law enforcement was required to jump in. Um, they came out to our site. You know, we had bomb sniffing dogs. We had the robots with the little wands go through. Yeah. Um, we had to evacuate three or 400 people from our workplace. And obviously we lost hours of productivity. So our team was like, you know, how do we make these decisions? Because every time we get uh, an incident, we can't have this happen, but we also need to, um, you know, protect our employees and make sure that we're, we're documenting these types of incidents. Yeah. So let's, uh, I just want to back up. I want to backtrack just a little bit and then kind of dive into that business element. Um, so that, that system was relying upon kind of an agent self-report of a situation. Was there ever situations where like agents maybe didn't take it seriously, didn't self-report something, and then it was found out about after? Was there some type of like, I guess, how do you drive that behavior at an agent level to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do um, in situations like that. No, that's a, that's a great question. And, and frankly, that was where we, where we had some struggles and, you know, I thought about, you know, looking at abstract for kind of a solution to this real time problem, because we can train our agents, you know, when X, Y, or Z happens, uh, this is what the process is, but you know, every agent, um, you know, interprets things differently. And, um, you know, there are times where an agent, you know, gets a customer who's making a threat and it might be a legal threat, but it's not a safety threat. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to get my attorney. I'm going to, you know, go to the Better Business Bureau, the State Department of Insurance. You know, all of those are are threats to the business, but they're not ones that we want to be involved in in real time. Uh, I'm going to come to your house and shoot you. I'm going to come to the building and cause a fire. I, I've already put a bomb in the building. And if you don't believe me, this is the address of the building. Those are the ones that we needed to be notified about in real time. So our discussion was, you know, is there a solution out there where we could maybe, you know, key in some some red flag or some danger words and, you know, maybe get some sort of a notification or some sort of a ping, you know, to a, a group of people that basically says you had an agent on the phone with a customer 
and you know these words or this phrasing was used, and this is something you might want to look at quickly. So out, outside of software, right? Like again, the agent behavior piece is something because, like, I mean, I mean, I used to cold call in a previous life, and people would be like, "You call me one more time, I'm going to find you and kill you." And I'm, I'm like, "Dude, you're in England. Like, you're not coming over to California. Like, you're not going to do that, right?" So like, how, how do you drive? that incentive or that, 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 that's what I'm really curious about, Aaron. And again, if like, if, if you want, if you want to go too deep in that, I totally get it. Um, how do I, how do you objective? Here's when you do this. If you don't do this, you're going to get fired or written up. Like, how do you make sure nothing slips through the cracks? Cause like, you're not messing around in this type of stuff. Like, you right. don't want people like misunderstanding or using their own, subject applying their own level of subjectivity to a threat that might be very very real right no it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult issue to work through obviously it starts with training it starts with having all of your employees know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable on a phone call um, in your scenario you know if you're cold calling or telemarketing a prospect and somebody says you know I'm gonna come you know, find you and they're 10 states away, you know, maybe that doesn't put fear into a particular agent. Um, but we've had some agents where, you know, they were legitimately scared. And, and, and what we have to look at from a business perspective is, you know, there's consequences to uh, allowing this type of behavior for our employees. Um, these situations are serious. Um, Third-party harassment can have can have major consequences. It could lead to EEOC charges and complaints of um, you know workplace violations. It could lead to legal uh, legal claims, and you know we need to find a way to put safety before sales. Yeah. So let's kind of tr- transition to the business side, right? You, know, you talked about having to take 300, 400 people off the phone. I mean, that's tens of thousands of dollars. Right, potentially, depending upon kind of the size of the transaction, or if it's a support motion, right? Like you're you're missing your SLAs for customers. If I'm taking hundreds of agents out of a building, <clears throat> how do you um do you look at building in like a backup process to that with like a, a remote at home workforce that you can kind of transition the load to? Like, how do you go about trying to build in some redundancy or backup in the event? that you need to take everybody out, pull the bomb sniffing dogs in? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And the, the first experience that we dealt with um, was in a pre-COVID world. And our company was a on-site, on-office company. We did not have work-from-home agents at that time. And um, it was a major problem for the business because – once law enforcement comes out, you know, you're not getting back in your building until, you know, they've cleared things. And it, it takes it takes hours um, and certainly, you know, large sums of money are lost, um, depending on the product, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars lost in sales, lost in customer contact. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we we thought about that post-COVID. Um, because we, we did shift, obviously, during COVID to work from home, and we built some protections in there with some remote agents. But it's still a, 
you know, a very challenging situation for a company that works on site. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, what are maybe like the two, two or three things, Aaron, where you guys looked at these as like criteria met, criteria met, criteria met. I'm like, yep, this makes sense to pull everybody off. And this, this is actionable. Like this is, this is actual intelligence. This is real. What were some of those things that, that you looked at to, to justify the business loss? Yeah, I think that, you know, some of the some of the factors that were important to us were proximity. Okay. So, for instance, we, you know, we sold a product and administered a product throughout the country. We were based in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, if a customer is making a threat and they live within, you know, a 30 or 50 mile radius of our office, obviously that has a heightened sense of alert than like in your scenario, if we have a customer who's in California or Nevada who says, I'm coming right over to the building. See you in four days, buddy. Yeah, (laughs) the first first flight's in a few hours and a six-hour flight. So, you know, proximity was a big factor. Um, Really the nature of what was said, you know, and that takes a little bit of a little bit of finesse and a little bit of experience to really gauge, you know, the difference between, you know, what is a disgruntled customer who's just really unhappy with a level of service or product and is really just saying things out of frustration, you know, versus what is a legitimate threat to somebody's safety. And I'm I'm not going to pretend that there's, you know, a magic formula that we can put into the computer and and spit out um, because we don't know what's going to happen. But in my position, you know, what we've really wanted to do was make sure that everything was documented um, because nobody wants to play Monday morning quarterback with this type of stuff after the fact. Yeah, it, um, it reminds me of a book from Gavin DeBecker called The Gift of Fear. And it talks about like mm-hmm. tr- trust, like as humans, we've evolved to have like this gut feeling of like when things are not going to go right or when you should be scared of things. And so was there ever an element where you kind of looked at the objective data points, but then maybe you looked at like, I'm hearing this in this call. My gut's telling me this is legit. Like who's, who can make that call within an organization where like the objective stuff, maybe, but I'm listening to this. This dude sounds like he's nuts. We've checked his Facebook profile. He's got this, this, and this post. Like, evolution's taught me this dude's not messing around. Yeah, I think one of the important elements that we built into the process, you know, we're all humans and we're, we're trying to guess at, you know, human action, which is really difficult to do. Uh, we thought it was important to not have one person being solely responsible for that decision. So that's why we built a four or five person team and everybody had to um, kind of weigh in. And what that does is allows people to be a little bit more candid with their thoughts because it's not solely on them. You know, whatever action is going to be taken or not going to be taken has some sort of group consensus behind it. And, and we thought that that was an important element of it um, to, to kind of address the beginning of your question uh, and one that maybe we didn't 
we didn't nail correctly the first time uh, was the first time that we had a, a customer come into our call center, uh, visited us at our location uh, with a fender of an automobile slung over his shoulder, um, you know, which is probably... Four or five feet, yeah. You know, yards wide, carrying a large, sharp piece of metal over his shoulder into his office. And obviously, we realized quickly that we needed to have a a good process in place for security, um, both on site and and by phone, um, because that guy uh, did not seem to have the best intentions. Yeah. So, when you talk about like group, so. Going, without going down the rabbit hole of like psychology, like group thinks a real thing, right? Um, and so it instantly reminded me of World War Z, where Israel was prepared for the zombie attack by following the 11th man kind of rule, where if 10 people agree, the 11th person has to disagree with them. And it always kind of resulted in them kind of coming up with what if scenarios that the original 10 couldn't come up with. And so like, wouldn't that the, the five people, right? Like you have to have strong, dominant, like not willing to just back down type of people on that team because you don't want to ever get in a position where you have four or five amiable people that all just don't want to disagree with each other. So they all come to the same conclusion. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good point. And I guess to touch on one other, you know, point of that was th- this wasn't a this wasn't a jury vote or a majority wins. It wasn't, you know, three people think that a situation is benign or low risk and two people view it as high risk. So the three dominate the two and win. This was a four or five people at a table. And, um, you know, I want to give you the, the exact number, but it, it wasn't a, a majority decision. Oh, got it. Cool. Well, this has been my favorite podcast, Aaron. Um, this is a this is like real world, not messing around stuff, right? This isn't just like did we answer the phone in seven seconds, or you know, did we resolve a complaint the first time around? Like, this is not this is people's lives, you know, and, and real threats. So I appreciate you sharing a lot of this. Um, you know, when you get into the nitty gritty, right? Like, I'm sure there's a lot of details that go into stuff like this, but even at a high level, I think there's a lot of actionable stuff here, Aaron. So I appreciate you sharing it with us today. Awesome. I appreciate you guys having me. This was fun. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, talking again in the future. And um, if any of our listeners want to, to reach out to Aaron, we'll include all of his stuff, uh, you know, LinkedIn, how to reach Aaron in, our, uh, in, in the posting of the podcast. So thank you for your time, Aaron. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Bye. Thank you.